0: Well, good morning to each and every one of you. <clears throat> it's nice to have you here today. I may be just slightly loud there, Phil. Uh, my name is Doug Vernon. Uh, for those of you who are new, whether online or in person, I'm the senior minister here and I'm very thankful that you're here with us. Those of you who call Wildwood your church home, I am so glad that you've joined us online or in person. Um, It's great to have you here today. Now, if you're new with us today, if this is just your first or second Sunday to be with us, I want to encourage you. Um, We have a book that we want to give to you. This goes along with the series that we're starting today. This is a book by Eugene Peterson called Run with the Horses. He's he's written a ton of great books, but this is a study on the book of Jeremiah. It's called The Quest for Life at Its Best. So if you're If this is your first Sunday with us, or if this is your second Sunday with us, whether in person or online, we want to give you a copy of this book, but the way to do that is You can do a couple things one there's a connect card in the seat in front of you and you can put your name and your email or your cell phone on that and then as you leave uh the auditorium there's a connect point out there karen will be out there and you can hand that to her and she'll give you a book or you can just text the word welcome to the number on the screen 63620-68654 just take your phone out and text that word and then you can show her that now if you're online you can text that word "welcome." And then make sure you give us your email address when that link back comes back to you, and we'll make sure you get a copy of that book. But I'm glad that you're here with us today, this opportunity to worship God and honor Him. So I know it's not really the season to talk about gardens, but I wanted to show you a picture. This is a picture of our garden. Looks lovely, right? Uh, doing a great job, really growing things. But we know right? That the reason it looks like that is because there's that time in the fall where you pull everything up, right? You pull the weeds up and you pull the tomato vines that are all gross looking or anything else. You pull it up and you fertilize it and you get it worked. So we do that in our garden. Okay, let's just be real honest. We don't do that. My wife does that, right? Patty does all of the work. I, I just enjoy the fruits of her great labor. But you pull stuff up, you get it ready, And then in the springtime, right, when the last freeze, you know, it's good, then what do you do? You replant. You plant seeds. You put plants in there. So there is a season, right, in which you pull stuff up, and there is a season in which you replant it. I think God was very intentional about that when he designed, created the world to have those kind of seasons, where there's times where things get pulled up and there's times where things get replanted. And I think that God has that in mind all throughout time, periods for his children or for his nation in the past or for his people and his church today, times in which he pulls things up and times where he replants things. And I think that's most seen in the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1, In verse 10, here is the call that God gave to him. He's speaking specifically to Jeremiah, and he says, See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms, and say these words with me out loud, to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God has seasons, you know, in the life of his people, God has seasons in the life of of his nation in the past and in the life of his church in the present, in which he literally, he uproots, he tears down, he destroys, he overthrows, all for the purpose of being able to rebuild and replant. Now, I have personally had to go through some seasons like that in my life, where God uproots and tears down some things. They're not really that enjoyable of a season. I mean, I I would never say, man, I'm so thankful that I'm having this season where God's just ripping stuff out left and right, and he's tearing stuff down in my life. And yet, when I look at what God can do in replanting and rebuilding in my life, I am thankful for that. I bet you've seen seasons like that in your life. Maybe you didn't even recognize that it was that, in which God was trying to pull some stuff out of your life, and God was trying to tear some stuff down that was really getting in the way of us being able to live the way God wants us to live. And so we we're, we're going to take a look at Jeremiah at what God is wanting to do in the life of every single one of us and the life of the church. Now last week we started off with the question where do you sit? Where do you sit? We had the three chairs up here and the challenge was this that the We want to stay in this first chair of sold-out commitment to Jesus Christ. That's where we want to stay. And if you didn't get to catch it online or in person, I encourage you to go back and watch that. It's a real challenge to all of us. But we need a church of people who are constantly striving to sit in the first chair of commitment. And the reason is, is because God is doing a work of pulling stuff up and tearing stuff down. God is doing a work in the lives of His church, not, not just this church, though it's true in this church, but literally churches all across the United States, literally churches all across the world, in which we're seeing a season unlike we've ever experienced before in regard to at least the era that I have been in ministry and so today we began a new series on the book of jeremiah just simply entitled jeremiah to what to tear down and rebuild and we're going to take a look at jeremiah and what god did in his life because we have entered into a really a season as a church of what we're calling church revitalization but what it is is god doing his work in other words All the things that we're going to do, we've been doing and we're going to continue to do, uh, at the heart of all of it is, God, what do you want to do in your church? What do you want to see happen in your church? Because it's not my church, it's not your church, it is God's church. But it's going to be challenging. It already has been challenging as God seeks to do His work. In fact, today... We're going to have a meeting with our team right after this service here. We're going to begin talking about some of those things. Some of you have already been talked to by Jim and your small groups, and more of you are going to be having conversations and give input and stuff, but it's all centered in this idea of what is God doing? What does God want to do? And as you and I look at this particular season, I really felt led to the book of Jeremiah, it's a challenging book if you've ever read through Jeremiah. There is, it is like one of the darkest seasons in the nation of Israel. And yet, in the midst of this particular season, we see God doing some great things. And so I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah, the first chapter. Those of you who are online, I encourage you to go to the Old Testament to Jeremiah. Those of you here, there's Bible in the seat in front of you if you want to. Never, you know, never hesitate to look in the table of contents. But Jeremiah, you go to the middle and go write about three books, and you'll find Jeremiah But what we find here is the call of Jeremiah. So who is this guy, Jeremiah? So I want to spend a little bit of time helping you figure that out. Who is Jeremiah, and why did God call this particular guy? So this is Jeremiah chapter 1. I want to read the first three verses to you. Jeremiah 1, beginning in verse 1. So he writes this, The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Israel went into exile. Hold on to that phrase. When the people of Israel went into exile. So, what do we learn about Jeremiah here? Well, we learned he was a PK not a preacher's kid, right? So we have some preacher's kids here. Maybe you're there. Maybe you don't want to admit that you're PK. I'm a PK. I have PKs, right? This is a priest's kid. Unlike a PK, they don't really have a priests didn't really have a choice whether or not they got to be a priest because they were just born into the family and that's what they did. But God called him to be a prophet. We'll learn a little bit more about that. But when did Jeremiah, when does he fit in the time frame? So I put together this chart here. So Jeremiah prophesied just a little over 40 years. His reign was from Josiah to Zedekiah. Now the two, Joahaz and Jehoiachin, weren't mentioned because they had only been kings for three months. Josiah was a reformer. He was one of the good kings, at least until later on in his life. He brought God's people back to him. But from that time on, it was downhill. But here's what I want you to notice about Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied about the end of Israel, and it came in 587 B.C., And Jeremiah witnessed the end of it, but then he was led off into captivity down into Egypt. He didn't even get to go with God's people when they were taken into exile. But again, right at the end of verse 3, what does it say there? He says, When the people of Jerusalem went into exile. When the people of Jerusalem went into exile. I mean, this was such a sober time for God's people. They had been called to live at the highest level you could possibly live. They were given this gift of God guiding them and teaching them and saying, this is how you live life. This is how life was meant to live. They, they were given this amazing gift, and yet they, ch- they set that great gift aside, and they chose to live in a way that was so far away from God that eventually, after hundreds of years of warnings and prophecy, God led them into exile do you know that God allows exile so that his people will wake up God allows that to happen to his people because sometimes we won't wake up on our own that's what happened to God's people they they had gone so far into idolatry and turning against God even though he had given this amazing gift of here's how life is really meant to be lived they didn't want to choose that and in our lives and in the lives of God's church, sometimes God has to allow us to go into exile. I mean, the last two years of life have been so challenging and so difficult for, for all of us. It has been for us as a church. And as you look at the things that happen, it's so easy for us to say, Oh, God, you know, this is terrible. You need to change this, which we do want Him to change this. But here's here's a question for you Is it possible? that God actually brought this about? Is it possible that the things that have occurred over the last two years and the turmoil and the heartache and the separation and all of it, is it possible that that's a part of God's will? Honestly, I, I don't know. But what I do know is this, that God can work in the midst of any kind of difficulty. God can work in the midst of any kind of evil that we face in our life. God can take that which is evil and bring about good. God can take that which is lost and redeem it and bring joy and bring peace, but only if his people choose to set aside and let him get rid of the things that so easily get in our way in regard to living the life he has in mind for us and give everything we have to God himself. So I think one of the biggest keys to this whole series is we need to stop living a less-than life as his people and as his church. And not just his church at Wildwood Christian Church, but his church all across America and all across the world, that we need to recognize that real life is only lived the way God wants us to live it, and anything else is second-rate. Anything else is a disappointment. And so what was the call to Jeremiah? Well, look down in verse 5 of Jeremiah 1. It says there, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So we use uses three different phrases there. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. And I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So before... I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He's saying this to Jeremiah. He's declaring, I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, but even before that, I knew you. I knew what you, who you were, I knew what you were going to do. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Even before you came out of that womb, I set you apart. That's a phrase that this idea of something being holy. In other words, a purpose, a significance. I set you apart. And then the last thing is, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations and it's so interesting that what jeremiah records here is not the activity of his parents but what jeremiah records is the activity of god i formed you i knew you i set you apart i appointed you it is the work of god in the hearts and lives of jeremiah and his people but it is god's work in your life and in my life as well and as you look at these phrases two of these phrases apply to all of us now the third phrase there i appointed you as a prophet to the nations that was a very specific special call that god gave to jeremiah himself to be a prophet at that time and at that place to do what god needed him to do right there and god has done that all throughout time right different people he's appointed them paul moses they've been called at a specific time and a specific place to do certain things that god wants them to do but the first two phrases they describe all of us before i formed you in the womb i knew you god formed you in the womb and he knew you before we ever before we ever even began to investigate about god god knew everything about all of us before you were born i set you apart every single one of us god has this set apart this idea he wants us to live for his good and for his glory has in mind for all of us to be this light in the world to have significance to be special in regard to what god has in mind for every single one of us you see we're all called by god so it's time for us to stop settling for less than In fact, Paul says it so well. Ephesians chapter 1. In fact, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter of Ephesians 1. But Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 4, listen to what he says. For he chose us in him. He is God, chose us in him, Jesus Christ, before the creation of the world. God chose you in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. That's that same word, holy, that he set Jeremiah apart. In his sight, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. He he destined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. And then he goes on down in verse 11. In him we were also chosen. We were chosen, Right? having been predestined according to the plan, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that, okay, here's why he chose you and me, in order that we who are the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. You were chosen, I was chosen, to be for the praise of God's glory, to live a life that is such a life full of joy and peace because we're living God's way, that we're this light to other people around us for the praise of His glory. But it also shows us the great paradox of life. See, before God formed you, He chose you and I. He has something amazing in mind, and yet, when we were born, we were able to make the choice of whether we would live God's way or not. So the real question for you and I is this, will we choose to live God's way? Will we make a decision to live this life that God has in mind for every single one of us? So God called Jeremiah. What was Jeremiah's response? Look down there in verse 7. Or verse 6, he says there, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. I like that. I can't talk, and I'm way too young. Anybody ever felt like you couldn't talk or you were too young or you're too old or you're too this or you're too that, right? It's like, it's pretty easy for us, like Jeremiah, to give excuses. And it was legitimate in Jeremiah's case. Most commentators tend to think Jeremiah was somewhere between 19 and 21 years of age when God said, Oh yeah, and I'm picking you to be a prophet for the whole entire world. No pressure, right? But at your age, this is what I have called you specifically to do. And it's like Jeremiah's like, I can't do that. It's impossible, right? I'm too young. I I can't speak. But what does God respond to him with? Beginning in verse 7. Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. In other words, I don't really care to hear your excuses. They're lame. Uh, You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. God's response to Jeremiah was, quit looking at your insignificance and look at my significance. God doesn't call you and I to do something amazing. He didn't call Jeremiah to do something amazing because Jeremiah was amazing. Jeremiah became amazing because God called him. We're not adequate to do anything, but when God calls us, he makes us adequate to do the things that we need to do where we're at. We don't get to choose the time and place in which we're born, but we do get to choose to recognize that, you bet, I am very insignificant. There is this enormous gap between what we think we can do and what God calls us to do. And the truth is we can not do that. We can't do what we feel like God has called us to do. We can't live the way we want to, especially in the face of the kind of circumstances we find ourselves in, and yet it's not up to us because it's God. God who made Jeremiah able, I will be with you. And it is God who is looking for people who are just simply willing to be faithful. I mean, it's so understandable for him to say, I can't. The question is, am I willing at this moment to just do what God has called me to do? I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. going to do with the time that God has given to each and every one of us so what was that call again to Jeremiah look again in verse 10 see today I point you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow to build up and to plant so there's six words that are there really three sets of words right to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow and to build and to plant words of destruction right but also words of hope. How is this young man supposed to be able to? It's going to last 40 years. I mean, he doesn't know what it's going to look like at this particular point, but God has called him to this unbelievable task here, mostly a task of speaking words of destruction. How is he going to be able to do that? How are we going to be able to do the things God wants us to do? So what God does for Jeremiah is he gives him two different visions. Vision number one is of an almond branch. Look what he says, 11 and 12. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you've seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So the almond tree in Israel was the first um, bloom or blossom that would come in the spring. And so we have several of those kind of... Plants or trees that happen to us in the spring. But what is it a sign of that, what? Winter's almost over and good things are coming. It's a sign of hope. In fact, it's a play on words. Now, I don't know if your Bible says this at the bottom of your Bible, but mine has a reference down there. It says the Hebrew for watching sounds like the Hebrew for almond tree. In other words, it's kind of a play on words. It doesn't even show up in the English. But basically what God is saying is my word is going to come true. Just like the almond branch blossoms in the spring, shows the hope of what is coming. So you need to know, Jeremiah, that my word will come true. It is a word of hope, and he speaks hope into our lives. But the second vision is the vision of the boiling pot. Verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, it is tilting Toward us from the north. And the Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdom, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates in Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. I mean, those are words of dark judgment. Why would God pour out his wrath upon his own people? Because of their wickedness in forsaking me. They had forsaken God. And so the almond branch is one of hope, but the boiling pot is a picture that God will judge. You and I need to understand that. That was a very specific picture for God's people that would come at the end of Jeremiah's prophesying, but God will judge evil. But what's astonishing is how God can bring good even out of the evil that we see happening in this world. In fact, in the book, Eugene Peterson makes this statement. He says, the great paradox of judgment is that evil becomes fuel in the furnace of salvation. What God wanted Jeremiah to understand is that he is always working. Even in the midst of evil. One of the struggles that we face most of the time in our life is that we underestimate God and we overestimate evil. Because we get overwhelmed by the evil that we see in our lives sometimes, right? We don't see what God is doing, and so what do we conclude? Well, God must not be doing anything. And we see that evil is just almost overwhelming our world, and so at one point we feel like maybe evil must be in control. But what he's saying here, Jeremiah, even in the face of some of the most difficult circumstances you're going to see, that I am always working. And this almond branch was this picture of hope, but even the judgment was a picture of what God was going to do to eventually rebuild. And so how do you respond to that? Here's what God says to Jeremiah, starting in verse 17. Get yourself ready. King James Version says, gird up your loins. Hike up your pants and get ready to go, right? Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them... Whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. That's kind of ominous sounding there. I don't know. If you don't say what I told you to say, you better watch out. Today, I love this, I've made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you. Say that with me. For I am with you. I Meaning, God was reminding Jeremiah that he would be with him. But a part of the struggle I have with the story of Jeremiah is the fact that Jeremiah saw the tearing down, but he never got to see the building up. I mean, what's the deal with that, God? That seems so unfair. I mean, literally, for 40 years, Jeremiah told the people of God, God's going to come and destroy us if we don't change. God is going to come and wipe us out. He's going to lead us off into exile. And he was led off into exile, and that's the last we heard of Jeremiah. He never got to see the replanting or the building up. But that didn't matter to Jeremiah, because Jeremiah wasn't interested in the results. He knew he wasn't in charge of the results. He was merely in charge of being faithful in the moment to what God had called him to do. And you and I need to recognize and understand that we, we may never get to witness the replanting and rebuilding that God will always do. But our job in our lives and with our families and especially in his church is that we are to be faithful with what God has called us to do now to be a light and to represent Him now in this world and at this place and let God be responsible for whatever He chooses to do in this time and in this place. So what will we do? What will we choose? I'm wondering what God needs to uproot or tear down in your life or in my life. If you're anything like me, I mean, there's stuff that... God's been working on and continues to work on that he needs to get rid of because, you know what, it is just not a part of a life that is significant and meaningful, the kind of life that God has in mind for us. But one of the questions we're also going to be asking is what is it that God needs to tear down and destroy and pull up in the life of this church so that he can rebuild, so that he can replant because in your life and in your family, And in his church here, and his church all across the world, God has something in mind. God is working. And he wants you and I to be a part of that work, to live not a mundane, you know, less than kind of a life, but he wants us to live a life that has at its core a kind of peace and joy that can only come from him, that he's working in our life. And so will we get ourselves ready Will we allow God to do His work in our lives? Let's pray together, Father. We desperately need you, uh, Lord. I know on my own I just cannot. I don't have enough wisdom and smart and experience and strength, Lord. And yet I I fully trust in you, Lord God. I know that you are working in my life and in my family and in your church here, Father. And I am so thankful. But you've called each one of us, Lord, to live our lives to, to glorify you, to show other people your love, Lord, to live our lives to be a light to other people because of what you've done in our lives. And so, Lord, give us the courage and the determination to allow you to tear down, to pull up whatever needs to be done in our lives so that, Lord, you can replant and you can rebuild doing your work, Father. In your most precious name we pray, amen.